On this episode of the PNR Churchman, I have a treat for you. What you're about to hear is a message that was delivered at Meadowview Reformed Presbyterian Church in Lexington, North Carolina, the church where I pastor, but by Dr. O. Palmer Robertson. He was our mission conference keynote speaker. And so I know you'll enjoy this. The guest, our, our preacher, uh, has been a real blessing to our session and to myself. His name is Dr. O. Palmer Robertson. And if you were here last night, I'm probably going to give almost the exact same introduction because we have many more people here now. But Dr. Robertson uh, was, was a founder of the denomination. So back in the 70s, as people in the PCUS, pastors were feeling the tension of, of the, the church as a whole, leaving the foundation of the Word of God that I know everybody here at Meadowview so treasures, it was men like Dr. Robertson and his colleagues who had to pray through, do they start a new denomination? And in God's providence, the PCA was born. And here we are 50 years later. So this is the 50th anniversary of the PCA. And, uh, but why is Dr. Robertson a missions conference speaker? First of all, his whole life, whether he never left the United States, has been one about the propagation of the gospel. But he was in Africa for 25 years. He's only been back a couple of years now. He lives in Winston-Salem, and so we've been able to develop a relationship with him. And as I said, he's been a huge blessing to us. Dr. Robertson wrote Christ and the Covenant some 43 years ago, or over 40 years ago, and that set off a, a, like almost like a, a group of books. Christ of the Psalms, Christ of the Wisdom Literature, Christ of the consummation now he's writing, and I'm sure there's a number in between, and a whole host of other books. Some of them are available for sale uh, in the narthex. Most reformed conservative confessional pastors in this country, and actually around the world since those books have been translated into so many languages, learned covenant theology through what Dr. Robertson had written in Christ and the Covenant some 40 something years ago, either directly because we own the book or because the seminary professors were using it. Uh, so we're just blessed to have this dear brother uh, with us, and I will call you up, Dr. Robertson, if you would uh, join me on, at the, on the stage here. If you haven't met his wife, Joanna, you, you need to meet her. She's so sweet. She's such a dear lady. And as Dr. Robertson said last night, she's the one that makes it happen. So... You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm going to pray for you. Please. Yes. Uh, here, come over here. Come on over here. I know, I know you're not shy. I know that. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for the life and ministry and work of this man who you've raised up, you've ordained, you've, uh, you've called to pastor, to shepherd, to teach in so many seminaries, Lord, to write books, to be a missionary, and to bless us now. So thank you for his life. We ask just blessing on him as he completes many more books he has plans for. Would you give him energy and strength and clarity of mind, Lord, to continue to just uh, teach us about Jesus? We pray for him now as he would deliver this sermon, Lord. Uh, your word is truth. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we uh, look forward to hearing from you. Would you use him as your servant in that? In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
Very interesting. Just in being with your congregation for last night and today, I have to say that I feel more at home in this church. It is such a warm fellowship that you manifest and such a commitment to the same principles that started the PCA 50 years ago. May the Lord continue to bless you as a church that holds fast to the truth and manifests the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ in all your ministry. It's a special privilege for me today to preach about the Great Commission that has been at the heart of the PCA from the very beginning. Someone just before the service mentioned the name good old Jimmy Lyons. Some of you may know of Jimmy Lyons. He is one of the early fathers of the church. And once you met Jimmy, you could not forget Jimmy. But he was one among many others, among the beginners of the PCA that stressed the reaching out in evangelism, in church planting, in spreading the gospel to the whole of the world. So this morning, the scripture is taken from the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 1. Now, I shall be reading from the NIV, the old NIV, the old original NIV. It's just a Little, I'm a little more familiar with, with this particular version. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. <coughs> Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? <clears throat> and I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, Be ever seeing but never perceiving, Make the heart of this people calloused, 
make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities are lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left desolate, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. May God bless through our hearts the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Why should you go with the gospel? Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you sent your Son, the Lord, into this world. He is the one that has come. And we thank you now, Heavenly Father, that he has passed on the torch to us so that we may continue to take the saving gospel to the ends of the earth. Bless us now in our worship as we seek to hear your word and in our hearts obey it that we may give glory to your name in Christ's name. Amen. Last night, I told you a little bit about how you can go with the gospel. How should you go? Well, first of all, you go with prayer. Secondly, you go by proxy, by supporting and sending someone else. And thirdly, you can go in person, you yourself. Don't say that you're past the age. Don't say that you're too imperfect to go with the gospel because God calls those that are his servants to go. But this morning we want to talk about why you should go with the gospel. What is the reason that you should be the ones, more than anyone else in the history of the world, should go with the gospel? And as we look at this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 6, we see that God sovereignly sends the sinner who has seen his glory. God is the one who sovereignly calls and then sends the sinner, not the perfect one, but the sinner who has seen his glory. Because you have seen the holiness of God because you have experienced the forgiveness of God and because you above all other people understand something of the sovereignty of God in salvation, you are the ones that are qualified before the eyes of God to go with the gospel. First of all, you should go with the gospel because you have seen 
the holiness of God. The scripture says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and I heard the cherubim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What kind of king was King Uzziah? We know that most of the kings of Israel were not very good, but Uzziah was something of an exception. He was a good man. As a matter of fact, he was a farmer at heart. You might say he was a good old Tar Heel. He loved the soil. That's what scripture says. Uzziah loved the soil. Do you love the soil? Do you go, this is not exactly the time of the year, but even now you can begin to plant some bulbs in the ground and you dig a little hole in the ground and do you smell the dirt? And do you pray for that bulb? Say, Lord, now give some glory to yourself as you plant that bulb and you wait to see what God is going to do in the spring. Uzziah loved the soil. Uzziah knew construction. He must have been a hard hat. He knew how to go out there and build all sorts of things. He was a good king. But when he was successful, his heart was lifted up in pride. That's all, just a proud heart. And he determined to do something that he thought would be very good. He was going to go into the most holy place of Israel and he was going to offer a sacrifice. What could be better than for a king to set an example of piety by himself going in and doing what a priest should do? Well, the priests knew better. And they stood at the doorway and they said, no, no, don't do that. And his pride got the best of him. And he was enraged at these priests who were trying to stop him from doing this holy thing. And so he pushed into the holy place and he was struck with leprosy right in the forehead, not on the back of his hand where no one would ever see it again, but right in his forehead where he could not hide it, right where that plate, that solid gold plate that had engraven on it, holy to the Lord, was absent. There, he was struck with leprosy. And that leprosy began to crawl across his face. He fled out of the temple. The priests rushed him out of the temple. And the scripture says that Uzziah died as a leper in a separate house. He was never healed. He could never go back into the house of God again. And what was his sin? Just pride. That's all. You see, pride is pushing God away and saying, I am God. And so he was struck with leprosy and God manifested his holiness. And he died a leper in a separated house. You can just imagine the horrors of that leprosy creeping across his face, taking away his nose and chin until finally he died a leper in a separate house. 
you know of the holiness of God. And the world does not have an idea. Do you really think our sophisticated world today, our sophisticated Western society has any concept whatsoever of the holiness of God? <laughs> Just watch the television and you will see how unholy this world is, how depraved it is. You look in just one area of life and you see how polluted and depraved this society is. And they have no concept whatsoever of the holiness of God. Do you think it even passes through the mind of people that COVID-19 is a judgment of God upon the world? Whenever you see someone who has died, do you not understand that that is a judgment of God on the world, that the wages of sin is death? Indeed, we know as Christians that we are delivered from the curse of sin, and it has become, death has become asleep for us, and we do not fear death. But we need also to understand that if there were not sin, if there were not unholiness, there would be no death. Do you not understand that the war that is going on right now in Europe, there is a European war that has been going on and hundreds and thousands of people are dying and all sorts of stuff is being destroyed and thousands of people are refugees. And do you not see the holiness of God that is bringing judgment on the world? I'm not pointing my finger to this country or that country, but just saying, that the world does not understand the holiness of God. Does it? No. Do you understand the holiness of God? Yes, you understand the holiness of God. And you understand that God brings righteous judgment on the world, even his good servant, Uzziah the king, was not exempt from God's judgment. And in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah heard the cherubim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because you know, because you are a church in which you have four generations of people sitting right here in front of me today, faithful in hearing and faithful in obeying the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, you have been taught. You are in a gospel preaching church. So go. That's why you, of all people, should be going with the gospel. If you have any compassion whatsoever on a lost world, you will tell them, do you not know that our God is a consuming fire? Do you not know that God is constantly bringing his judgments on the world? Do you not know there's a final judgment in which every man shall give an account for every idle word that he has spoken according to our Lord Jesus Christ? Go and tell the world that unless they confess their sin, unless they repent of those sins, unless they cry out to Jesus, 
then they will all likewise perish, as Jesus said. If Isaiah had not repented, if Isaiah had not said, woe is me, then he, along with the king, would have perished. The fullest manifestation of the holiness of God, according to the prophecy of Isaiah, however, is not in this king Uzziah and the judgment that came on him. The fullest manifestation of the holiness of God comes later in the death of another king that Isaiah saw. Another king that Isaiah saw? Another death of another king? Listen to the words of Isaiah. His appearance was disfigured, just like a leper's, beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Some have thought that this man also was a leper. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Do you know who the prophet is talking about? He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Who is this man? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the punishment that we deserve to bring us in peace with God was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you understand that God, the righteous God, the righteous, loving, gracious God, brought his judgment upon his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how holy God is. The only way if anyone was to be saved from his unholiness was for our Lord Jesus Christ to suffer in our place. There is none other name under heaven given among men from whence we must be saved. Have you seen that holiness of God? Have you seen in the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross the holiness of God? Have you grasped that by faith for yourself? Then go with the gospel. Go to those people who do not hear, who do not understand. No one has ever told them, and you may be the only one near them to tell them the truth because you have seen the holiness of God. Should you not go with the gospel? Secondly, if you look at this passage in Isaiah, because you have experienced the forgiveness of God, you should go with the gospel. Because you have experienced the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, and the freedom that it gives you from the burden of your guilt and sin, then you of all people should be the ones that get up the courage by the help of the Holy Spirit to tell others about the gospel. The most striking thing about Isaiah's experience 
is his radical transformation. When you first see Isaiah, where is he? Well, he's down in the doldrums. You know the doldrums? Well, that's where the northeast and southeast trade winds meet somewhere down on the, somewhere down near the equator. And there's a slow uplift and there's no breeze. And when ships were dependent on the wind, they would just sit in the doldrums. And people would get their, their the sailors would get very depressed because they were in the heat and they couldn't move their ships whatsoever. You ever find yourself in the doldrums over life? Well, Isaiah's in the doldrums. He's like the little old man that has a cloud over his head wherever he goes and he says, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. That's exactly what he says, woe is me. That's when you see him first. And then the next time, what does Isaiah look like? Well, he says, here am I, send me. What in the world has happened? What has made this radical change? Well, you read the scriptures that are in between this amazing transition, verses 6 and 7, and you can see exactly what has happened. Verse 6, it will be a shelter and a shade. Oops, excuse me, I turned the wrong page here. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. What has happened? His sins have been forgiven. Where that sacrifice had been offered and the blood had dripped down to the coals, one of those angels had taken one of those coals where the dripping blood had dropped and brought it and touched his lips. And he said, you're cleansed. You're forgiven. All your sins are washed away. You understand, you have any comprehension of the meaning of what was the cause of the great reformation, the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Do you really understand? Have you experienced justification before God? What is justification? Justification, you can read it in the Shorter Catechism, a wonderful definition, but basically it means all your sins are forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. You go through the last judgment now, and God declares you to be totally innocent, even though you've been a guilty sinner all your life. It means you have no fear of accountability before God in his judgment. That's what Justification means you are justified, declared just before God's judgment. And you know what that does? That the song of the soul set free. I'm not guilty. You know, 
Martin Luther had a very strange statement on one occasion. He said, sin boldly. What in the world could he mean? Sin boldly. Well, I'm not sure at all really what he meant, but my thought is he's saying, yes, you're a sinner, but you can go ahead and serve Christ even when you are going to be sinning as you do it. So as long as you're going to do it, sin boldly. Not that you deliberately sin, but know that anytime you try to do something, there's going to be a little bit of sin in it. Go ahead and do it anyway. Sin boldly. Why is that? Because you've been washed. Because you've been cleansed. Not only your outer self, your conscience has been cleansed from dead works so that you can serve the living God. And so what does that mean? That means you should go with the gospel. Here am I, says Isaiah. Once he has been cleansed of his sin, here am I. Sometimes you're in the doldrums. Maybe you feel guilty in your conscience for something that you failed to do. You failed to write a letter. You failed to give testimony for Christ. You've committed a terrible sin. You've asked God to forgive you, but you still have that sense of guilt within you. And you've not fully claimed that forgiveness that is yours through Jesus Christ. Claim it. And then step forward and serve the Lord. You say, but I, I'm not worthy of testifying for Jesus. But you are worthy because he is worthy. Because he has forgiven you of all your sins. And therefore, even though you're not going to give the perfect Testimony, you can give an effective testimony because you have experienced the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today who does not know what it means to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Come to him today. Don't come to me, but come to him in your heart. Come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the cross where he offered that sacrifice and you will be forgiven of all your sins, past, the sins you're committing right now when you're in church, and the sins you are yet to commit for the rest of your life. God says you're justified. And from then on, you can be a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you have seen the holiness of God, go with the gospel. Because you have experienced the forgiveness of God as the rest of the world is not. You know, we just don't appreciate what a blessed situation we are. So many people, when they get close to death, they're terrified because down in their consciences, they know that they are terrible sinners. They know that they are going to give an account to a holy God. It's deep down and in them, and they can suppress it all their lives, but one of these days, it comes out to the surface, and they're terrified. Go to them and share, even as you and me in my imperfections. We can do that because we have experienced the forgiveness of God.
And finally, you, you Presbyterians, you of all people, understand the sovereignty of God in the sovereignty of God. You understand election, don't you? Well, as much as we human beings are capable of understanding some of the deepest mysteries of God, what is it? There is a something very, uh, a very heavy note here. What does it say? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And the Lord says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but not understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the, make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That is a very hard note, isn't it? You're going to go, and what's going to be the effect as you tell them the gospel? They're going to get hardened hearts. Well, that's what is called judicial hardening. Judicial hardening. When a sinner is hardened against God and someone tells him the gospel that he needs to repent of his sins and trust in Jesus Christ, that makes him even harder in his resistance of the gospel. What is going to break through that? Well, that's what Isaiah hears in the end. Yet, as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed, notice the word holy, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Even though the sinner, from a natural perspective, is only going to be hardened in his heart as he hears of the gospel of the grace of God. God, in his grace, can work redem redemption, can work regeneration, can work the gift of repentance and salvation in that sinner. And he comes and he finds salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle, when he was in Corinth, was troubled. But God appeared to him and says, Don't worry, I am with you because I have many people in this city. I am going to work, and I am going to cause them to be born again as you are sharing the gospel with them. One thing you can be assured of, in terms of relationship to the Almighty God, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The more hardened against the gospel they may seem to be, alone. God works. And as you go out to testify to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, this one may be hardened, and that one may be hardened, but this one, by God's grace, 
has his heart opened. He is saved. And he rejoices throughout eternity because you brought him the gospel. Do you understand that? No, we don't understand that perfectly. But you can basically understand it. It is that God, in his sovereign grace, works when and how he will, and though not a single sinner that has ever lived in the history of the world deserves the grace of God to save him, God in his mercy and grace has a great multitude from every tribe and kindred and nation, and they will be saved as the gospel is brought to them. And you, in school, in business, in your neighborhood, stretching beyond that, from Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, you can go with the gospel. There's one other place where the sovereignty of God is manifested in this passage, not just in the salvation, the prospect of salvation of sinners, where else is the sovereignty of God manifested in this passage? It is that God, in his sovereignty, appeared to Isaiah. And only to Isaiah. And to none other in this occasion, but to Isaiah. That was God sovereignly working and determining who was to be his witness? It was God who appeared to Isaiah. And God is still the sovereign God today. Do you think it's an accident that you are here today in this church hearing this message as you sit in this pew? No, that's not an accident. God has brought you here. And I see some of you, ooh, you're good candidates for missionaries to Africa. <laughs> I see some of your treasure, precious children. They're the ones that you may have to say goodbye to someday as they fly off to who knows where to Timbuktu or somewhere else, I know that God is sovereign. And you have to ask the question, is God speaking to me today? Isaiah heard the question, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I know what you might respond. Why, of course, the cherubim. Look at them. They've got wings. They can do your will instantly. Send the cherubim. But that's not what God says. In many ways, you are a better witness to the gospel than the cherubim because you as a sinner understand sinners. And you, by God's grace, 
can take the gospel. You can go with the gospel. Are you ready? May God give to every one of us grace to know exactly how God would have us go and to be willing with the whole of our being to go with the gospel. Let us pray. The heart of BTS is first and foremost to be faithful. Faithful to the word of God, to the sufficiency of scripture, to knowing we serve a sovereign Lord. The second component of the heart of BTS is accessibility. We're affordable, we're flexible. We work with students to help them achieve goals. This isn't our journey. It's your journey for serving the Lord. It's your journey that God has called you to. So we pray that while God expands and grows the opportunities that we have, that we never lose sight to provide quality, reformed theological education, faithfully and accessibly, so that we can serve the local church by building leaders for his kingdom.